there's this feeling that's inherent in being maybe it's young or maybe it's somebody who wants to do good in the world or whatever of like you need to be a little bit impoverished you can't be comfortable and be good Welcome back to I'm the Villain. This week, we're going to be talking about navigating changing socioeconomic class. Um, And so we're joined this week by Nicole Hill. And she's actually friends with Ronald, who was on the show, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago and was also on our live show panel. Um, And so, Nicole, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you think the audience should know about you? Sure. Um, the most important thing is that I am friends with Ronald. I would say that's a huge <laughs> part of my identity. Um, and we actually met because I was volunteering to work on a podcast for a DC-based nonprofit called Story District, which um, just tells and performs live storytelling, teaches and performs live storytelling. So he and I met there. I volunteered on that podcast, learned kind of the ins and outs of podcasting. And since then, I've just been working on other projects. Right now, I produce a show uh, called The Colored Girl Beautiful um, with someone that Ronald introduced me to. So really and truly, he is the light of my life. <laughs> oh my god that's so funny because that because like i i know that you guys had a launch party right through the podcast garage that's right we did yeah nice. it's a part of the google podcast prx fellowship that they started last year um you and got so, one of those well i didn't get it um somebody else got it her name is acelica smith she's the show's creator and host and then she hired me on to produce nice yeah that's amazing so I think that Isabel and I have been talking about this phenomenon of like our generation. I feel like we know a lot of people and this is probably because we're in like DC and you know, there's a lot of um, like white collar jobs here, but like we know a lot of people that got into the job force and then like started immediately making like more money than their parents or more money than they've ever mm-hmm. been acquainted with and how that is like, a bizarre and like B just like probably kind of hard to navigate and I feel like you might have some resonance with that idea as well yeah that's it's absolutely so hard and weird to explore I I think for me you know so to take it back I grew up in Virginia Beach my mom and dad were very very invested in the idea of us going to college my mom more so my dad was kind of like I want you to do better than I did I'm not really sure how that works. My mom did a couple years of college, I think one before she got married and had me, and my dad had joined the military, and then, you know, he'd never been to school. And so my mom was, you know, education, education. I remember in the third grade, we were learning cursive, and they were like, you have to know cursive to go to college. You better learn it. And then we got a typewriter, and they were like, you have to know how to type to go to college. And then we got a computer, and it was like, this is the future. Learn this. Forget it about the cursive. Um, but everything was kind of adding up to go to college. And my mom you know, put me in every AP class and sent me to pre-college and did all these things. So finally, I'm able to go, and it's amazing. And so for them, they were kind of like, we did it. The American dream, our daughter's doing better than we did, and she's in school. Um, But as I'm in college, I'm learning all these things that I don't think any of us anticipated. Like, you know, after college, you don't actually have to go and get a high-powered job. You could, people backpack across Europe after college. And so I was like, hey, you guys, did you guys know that like, sometimes you, 
a passport isn't really that expensive. And sometimes people get passports and then they just <laughs> go places. And my parents were like, you need to. That is the devil. Stop listening to those people. You need to go get a job. That is what college is for. But the more I'm there, the more I'm learning this culture of, uh, of up middle class, upper middle class lifestyle. And so uh, after college, I decided to do AmeriCorps and, and do two years of service, just traveling around the country, uh, giving back. My parents had no concept of what that was. They were like, we don't even under, why are you choosing poverty? And, <laughs> and since then I've been working in nonprofits and they were like, does that mean you work for free? Just really and truly, I think everything, the, the choices that I've made have, in a way it was great because I was able to achieve their dreams, but also it's kind of made me so different from them that my path is really foreign and they're not able to inform it the way they were, you know, the first 18 years of my life where they really owned and shaped it. Yeah. When did like- your, when, when did your like family or like ancestors come to like the U S do you know? I don't know. You don't know? Cause mm-hmm. like I often find like when I have conversations with people who are like, recently immigrated like their parents came here or their parents came here that there's often a very similar narrative of that like you know there's all these super high expectations and then it's sort of like especially if you like if they're telling you from a young age like yeah we literally came here to this country and like gave up everything and left our whole all of our friends and family so that you can like <laughs> be the one, yeah. the one you know what I mean? like that kind of thing yeah so much pressure exactly and it's like it's not even really clear now because we have such a nebulous definition of what success means to us now especially i think our generation it's not even clear like okay if you're i'm the chosen one like what am i supposed to do with that like what is it because like now i feel like the whole classic like okay become a doctor lawyer whatever is not like it's not the thing anymore right. right like there's too many lawyers like like it's just it's just not really like in vogue and it's also not even necessarily like i think what we consider success to look like right and there's a lot of focus on fulfillment on the the happiness of my life and that part too i don't even really talk to them about it because it is so strange and foreign and different i i find a lot of I find I'm able to relate with the immigrant experience in that parents putting a lot of pressure on me to succeed. And I find a lot of my friends who also are African-American, like have, their parents are from here, they've grown up here, feel like that that sense of we have to keep, every generation needs to be doing better. And then yeah, the, better the, and the better, thing right. of like, there was slavery, people were slaves, and then they marched and died, and you want to go to uh, Ibiza? (laughs) You want to go to Ibiza? (laughs) And Um, I'm like, I'm sorry. Nicole, I'm interested in if you grew up grew up wanting to be like a certain profession like did you have a dream that you wanted of something you wanted to be oh it was always a journalist it was Mm -hmm. a journalist for a very very long time but i had this i it's an inexplicable interest in how things work and so for a while there's this strange detour in my story where i started going to computer school and in high school i actually split my time between normal high school and this nerd fest computer high school and my parents were like this is it computers are the future so i started <laughs> going for it with computer science and that was kind of our first big divergence i went to school for computer science i was like i hate this we sit in these giant rooms typing all day and so i was like i want to do journalism 
Mm-hmm. And then we really, that was the first big, like, we're going two different ways. Yeah, they were like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> right. I was like, journalism makes me happy and it speaks to my heart. And like, I'll be happy. And they're like, you'll be poor. You used to, computer science is where money is. Don't you want money so you can live comfortably? And I was like, yeah. I don't really care about comfort. I feel like I was I was fully kind of indoctrinated into like the money equals success train for mm-hmm. honestly until I got to college like I I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be I tossed around like entrepreneur whatever that means <laughs> and I like wanted to be like in real estate for a little bit like I had very not I had very not like aspirational dreams like and, and it was because I knew that these things would like be able to make me money right and then I got to college and both of my grandparents I passed by them I was raised by my grandparents but yeah when I started getting into like the nonprofit world specifically from my father was like I got like uh well you're you ever gonna make any money son you're gonna be able to support yourself on that mm-hmm. exactly and I, was like, and I was like honestly dad I don't really fucking know <laughs> but I know that this makes me happy it's also crazy to me because like obviously like there are not like a lot of these jobs exist like if they if you literally couldn't survive on them they would not exist because people would not be alive doing them right 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 like, how could like you know there be as many nonprofits as there are if literally you couldn't make a living being a nonprofit worker you know yeah. and I, I do feel like there's a lot of this like conception of like how much does success mean like surviving versus like actually like having this vision of like your parents having this vision of our our class as being like owning a home like having all of these like accoutrements of class that's mm-hmm. like a nice car a nice you know whatever like being able to go out and you know eat out and like that kind of thing and it's like so vastly different depending on where you're coming from what that the vi- that vision of that ideal like success looks like yeah and it's weird also coming to college because in college part of the reason why you can move away from that definition of what success looks like is because so many people are so elite right there's so many people who can even be like yes i just want to like you know pursue the life of the mind you know <laughs> like a certain weird like uh like kind of out of touchness about that as well yeah you know? like <laughs> and always all that kind of like that thinking still i felt like kind of eluded me until like literally like seven months ago <laughs> when I started making more money and those kinds of things became possible. Oh. Right? I feel like I'm, I'm like fresh on the train. I think, I think what's ironic is that we're talking about like, you know, like gaining generational wealth on this pod. Um, and we started the conversation with like our parents kind of like being skeptical, skeptical about what we do, but it seems like ultimately those things like put us on a path to like, do decently well <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the interesting thing yeah i think and now we're navigating like looking like into like our previous generations and like you know that disparity yeah so strange and, and it's but it's a strange foreign path it, uh, millennials i think we're doing things so differently than the generations before us and this idea of there's big things like i'm not married and i don't have kids yet my parents didn't experience that. And so for them, the idea is, no, 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 you have to go make some money so you can take care of your family. And I was like, well, I don't have a family. (laughs) You know, there's just me. And so when I have that extra money and that extra time, 
I want to spend it not just on responsibilities. And they never had any time to do that or to explore who they were as not husbands and wives and parents and people who were responsible for the lives of others. But, I, but I've had, you know, I'm 33, so I've had so much time to just be like, huh, I like to travel. I like yeah. to, you know, take little weekend trips. I was telling you before, my the thing, brunch is just the biggest sticking point for my family where they're like, <laughs> why are you paying $30 to go have waffles, which you can have at your house <laughs> for nothing? I feel like specifically, Nicole, where are you from? Virginia, Virginia Beach. Okay, you're Virginia Beach, yeah. So you, I feel like Virginia Beach probably has some really like cheap ass breakfast too. <laughs> it does. I'm, I'm from North Carolina and we have cheap ass breakfast, <laughs> like food, breakfast food should be cheap. And so I feel like it's like a very specifically, I don't know if it's a DC, DC thing or if it's like a metropolitan area thing where brunch is like now an expensive endeavor, right? It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense and I recognize that, but it is an, an integral part of my social life and I cannot just <laughs> walk away from it. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, a, it's like a... It's damn near like a cultural centerpiece nowadays, right? For us. Absolutely. It absolutely is, which it makes no sense, especially Saturday morning. My mom says, you know, Saturday mornings, I have to wake you guys up. You have to clean the house. Then we have to go to the grocery store. We need to bring all the groceries back and then you can play. But for me, it's like Saturday morning. I have to check my phone. <laughs> which brunch spot am I going to? I have to call the lift. Like it's just, it's so, so, so different. And I yeah. think that's hard for them. And it makes me sometimes feel a little uncomfortable or just I don't want I mean who wants to be so drastically different from your family that yeah. that my aunts and uncles that people can't relate to me that when I come around I seem like I don't know like Scrooge or like Cruella de Vil or something I don't know just like some character coming in from the big yeah. city in her heels like oh I don't I don't have any time time is money like I I don't want to come off that way but I do fear that that's how I start to look to my family. Mm. Um, are you are you are you very close with your family? I am. Yeah. 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 I am not as close with my family. And I feel like maybe that that's helpful and that and that like I'm kind of I feel like I'm very moving, moving pretty independently. But I do feel a lot of that weirdness when like I go home, mm. you know, I, I feel like that is especially also true, like not even within like a familial context and also but also just societally yeah. because and it's a good thing because we're talking about class more. There is a certain pervasive sense of guilt. And I think this is definitely in some part just because we're in a, a bubble, right? It's not necessarily the case in like other parts of the country if you're well off. But like, I do think that in like kind of the circles that we run in, it's this kind of thing that like you know that you should like feel guilty about. But at the same time, it's like this is actually though what we were working for this whole time. This is what our parents wanted for us, right? And you know, then you look at things like, you know, gentrification in DC, right? And it's the kind of thing where all the people who talk most about gentrification are the ones perpetrating it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And like, you know that these are systemic things that are happening, at, but also you are a young adult who wants to, who can't like, you know, pay $2,000 in rent every month so it's kind of like one of those just there's so many of these systemic issues that you as a like you know educated person knows about and knows that it's like wrong but then also i think we're at a loss as to what to do about it other than just feel this 
pervasive sense of guilt about it. Yes. I, you know? I, I've never lived in a, I've always lived like in little buildings or whatever, but two or three years ago, I moved into this high rise. I started making a lot of money. So I moved into like a luxury, like, Ooh, fancy, Ooh. whatever. <laughs> and so I was There's like, pool on the look room. at me, I'm on the, moving on up to the side. And it's, it's just like very fancy and way too expensive. And I'm moving out because I can't afford it, but <laughs> <laughs> I no longer make those big bucks, but I moved in. And the thing I didn't account for is, okay. So you get into a lift and there'll be, I'm black. There'll be all kinds of different color people, but if the lift driver is black and everybody else leaves, if there are some black and brown people in the lift, we're talking about gentrification. We're getting into it. So we'll start this whole thing of he believe it, people are coming in, blah, 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 blah. And then as <laughs> and they're then getting you get closer out to the my apartment, I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then we get to my fancy ass, like, oh, bougie. I'm I it's a, it's the most gentrification. It is like a beam a beacon of gentrification. We arrive and I am so embarrassed <laughs> of this thing that I was actually very proud to have worked so hard to be able to afford. But it's how do you do it ethically and responsibly? Well, that's part of it. But the other part of it is there's this feeling that's inherent in being maybe it's young or maybe it's somebody who wants to do good in the world or whatever of like you need to be a little bit impoverished you can't be comfortable and be good yeah yeah and so yeah. there's this this you know luxury building is is in the direct face of it and if i'm being honest part of the reason why i want to move is because it is a little embarrassing that i can afford to live here mm -hmm. and i would rather live a little simpler that's not the only reason but i would i but it's part of it if i'm being yeah. truly honest i um i studied nonprofit studies as a minor in college and that phenomenon that you're talking about nicole of like the perception of uh what a like someone that does good for the world quote unquote like the what they should have is like like so kind of pervasive that it's documented like it was part of our curriculum wow really where, yeah where we like we spent a couple of days talking about like the idea that like the nonprofit sector for example in in terms of like money flows in and out is like policy wise just more aggressively regulated than the the for-profit sector but more than like any kind of any other financially any other aspect of this country but the the nonprofit sector like accounts for something like i think like 10 or 13% of the economy wow. and like there's just tons of rules about, around what a nonprofit can and can't do, and it's all just because um, these like the idea that people donated you this money, right? They didn't like they didn't use this money to purchase your wares. They like donated you this money, and mm. and the, and that means you have to like and that means you have to be doing something like really worthwhile with it. And I think that sort of mindset also gets projected onto people that quote unquote like want to do good mm. right where just like you said this idea that people that you know want to be impacting the world in some way would be giving all any excess money they have towards that cause and not like sort of living in any kind of luxury right and and i've definitely like i've been on the other end of that like whenever i went to isabel used to live in this old building in arlington that was just like it was like just like also a beacon of also yeah just like a luxury <laughs> building i felt like i, I kind of felt like i was like a little salty every time i walked in there because you know you see you see the black like attendant working at the desk mm -hmm. right and then 
even for a little bit <laughs> when Isabel first moved in, I think they started recognizing me, but they would always ask me to sign in and I'd see other people that had never got asked to get signed in. Mm-hmm. And Isabel was like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my white friends never had to get asked to sign in. And I'm like, I'm, I will, I kind of feel like I will forever feel like a guest in that kind of space, even mm-hmm. if it was my home. Yeah. Yeah. And also this is the kind of thing that I feel like happens a lot when you change classes is that if you like grew up in whatever Beverly Hills, like I'm from Connecticut so like the classic example is like Greenwich Greenwich is like this super white suburb of New York like you don't have this like complex of like oh my god like I need to give back to my community like this is like I'm not I'm like you know I'm not in touch with my roots anymore like blah 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 because you were from like fuck you know Greenwich there's also this complex of like if you came from like a poor background or a middle class background right and you're just like moving up right there's also this notion of like oh you have all these like people that you're indebted to mm-hmm. and who that you should you know you should be like pulling up and supporting in a way that people who are always rich just never had that expectation of them yeah yeah right? and there's like a an attitude you have to maintain and you need to remember to be bilingual you have to still be able to communicate with the people that you grew up with and the way that you came up and you need to be able to communicate in this new higher class and you better not get the two mixed up because you were alienate both yeah you are gonna get yeah it's not gonna work yeah 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 exactly but either oh you switched up in one group or like ooh, she's hood i didn't (laughs) know that in the other group but the consequences (laughs) feel so high to get it right and and it's wild to think about the fact that all of this is happening just because you're doing better for yourself and your family you know all the Mm -hmm. negative consequences of that yeah it's like so hard to do code switching Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. a, it's just a, this thing that's going on. That's like taking a lot of toll in the back of your head, but it's not something that you see. So it's not something that people really notice or talk about, I think, very much. Yeah. Right. I've really tried to like I've been trying to sort of navigate the perfect like, because, you know, I work, I work a, 95, a nine to five. I work at a think tank. I like, you know, I do the whole shtick. I, I go into an office where I have a cubicle or whatever. And um, and I really have been trying to like as a a professional quote-unquote trying to not like aggressively code switch like i've tried because i've been trying to like be myself and just be like yeah dude whatever like i don't know like <laughs> and and i found that like it feels like sometimes you get like an appreciated sort of appreciation from people but then they say do they say something like uh like i'm so glad that you feel like comfortable being yourself here mm-hmm. and i'm like damn is that coded like i can't tell if that's coded <laughs> language you're using <laughs> yeah i one of my big things I feel like when you give people a card where you're like, oh, no, this person is an like if, it, if it's a dude and people are like, this is an honorary, you're an honorary lady. Or when people are like, you're honorary black, or you're honorary this, you're honorary that. I'm like, don't give that to people because then they get real comfortable and they feel like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I really get it. And now you're saying things to me that you and your family say to each other that you should not be saying to me is a slippery slope. Yeah, now it's an awkward situation for me. <laughs> now I have to call all my black friends and talk about it. It's a whole thing. You don't want these problems. Yeah. Um. So can I ask, what were you doing two years ago that, like, that you were making a lot of money doing? Oh, I was... Um, so I'm in fundraising 
Mm-hmm. And so I went to work for this another nonprofit, but it was a more of a like startupy, we're a corporate nonprofit. And I went in there and I did all this prep of like I'm going to ask for what I'm worth, I'm going to make a proposal, I'm going to be the thing I want to see in the world, whatever the thing is. And I <laughs> do my whole spiel, and they give me more than I asked for. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful, and it was to do fundraising work. Uh, but the weird repercussion of that was making that amount of money just made it so, you know, you make little jokes about like, oh, I can't afford that. And I was like, I can't, I can't really make that joke. That's right. Not, you yeah. know, or, or it was like, people be like, oh, you went on a lot of trips this year. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't post them on Instagram so much. It just start all these little things started happening that I wasn't expecting, but I was very proud to get the job. I was very proud that to, to be able to compete on that level and to command that kind of a salary. It was, you know, just like a big milestone for me. And I feel like the work I've been doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last time I went to visit my um, my sister who lives in St. Louis with her husband, they both have like they're both black and they have really good paying jobs. Um, like I think he works in advertising or something like that. And when I was there, um, I didn't pay for anything and I felt like really bad. And my brother-in-law said something along the lines of like, look, I make all this money and I'm black (laughs) and I want like it makes me like it gives me satisfaction to be able to share it like with people, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like his attitude about sort of making a lot of money is the way that I'm kind of like shaping my attitude as I kind of climb up the ladder. Which is like, like I'm not. I'm trying not to shy away from it, but I'm trying to be like, yeah. But like, you know, we out here. Like, let's 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 kick it. Let's do something. Like, I'm donating some over here. Like, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm trying not to let it be this kind of like shadowy figure in the back when I like, you know, I'm communicating with my family or like my, you know, people from people from back home. Yeah, I, I think I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about it or live with it. It is getting more comfortable, and there's definitely like I still support my family. And so there's always the sending money back home. That's always going to be a thing. It's just never not going to be a thing. And then, of course, there's, you know, all the places that I donate. But one, a lot of money when you break it down isn't really that much money. Yeah. (laughs) Especially Mm -hmm. when you consider this this piece of it, which I feel like a lot of people haven't. When you're in a lower class, you don't have the um, space or the resources to think about savings. And such a big chunk of the money that would go into that would make it feel truly like you have a lot of money goes into savings. And that was a new concept for me and definitely a new concept for my family. And when I talk to my friends who have not changed classes, this idea of like, no, 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 you can't have debt. and, And a certain percentage of it has to be put away every paycheck. And then you don't touch it. Even if you like... If somebody has an emergency, emergency have to rise to a certain level before you tap into savings. That yeah. concept is so was so new to me and really difficult to get on board with. Took years and years and years, and it's definitely still something that my family is like. I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> if you have the money and I've asked you for it, give it to me. Yeah, like this idea of an emergency fund. Mm-hmm, exactly. And the Extremely idea that yeah. not living, which so much of America, the, almost the majority, I think they said of America is one paycheck away from really, truly being in a disaster. And so the the all the work that goes into making sure that you are not one paycheck away, that you actually have three 
month's worth of expenses saved is a strange and foreign and super privileged concept. For sure. And it just is another example of these things you pick up when you change classes that are part of why people in upper classes stay where they are. This, you know, this additional knowledge, this additional privilege, extraordinary amounts of privilege um, and like hustling and playing the game. Yeah. It's strange. Yeah. Um, do you want to have uh, like a family or, so, or some equivalent of that some, at some point? In your yeah. Life? Yeah. Do you ever wonder or do you ever worry like in the back of your head? Like if I have kids and they didn't have to struggle for nothing, are they going to be shitty? Yes. <laughs> Yes, 100%. Because my parents think I'm weak. They're like, you don't even know, blah, 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 blah. Look at you exfoliating all the time. You don't know about hard work. And I'm like, no, I do. And then I absolutely think, like, if I had kids and then I pay for college, first of all, I'm not paying for college. I think that is an important part of, well, I don't know if we're still going to have college post-pandemic, but I hope we do. And if we do, I'm not paying for it. So... Things like that, I feel like they really built my character. They won't have to go through. And things that my parents felt really built their character, I didn't have to go through. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be lazy. Let <laughs> 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 me cry. Yeah, I mean, and also that's the thing about like... It's also just like this has this weird intergenerational play too mm-hmm. because, you know... For the P, I think it like it extends how long it takes minorities and like women and just whatever like people who who are are minorities like to get to a, a level of secure wealth because you do have this mentality about I had to make my kids suffer and be a good person whereas another person might just be like yeah I'll pay you know like I'll pay for someone to fucking take the SAT for you mm-hmm, right you know right <laughs> and like those kids Bam. right like. <laughs> are you know people who are becoming super successful off of nothing mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like donald trump right mm-hmm. like like just there's a lot of people like that and the question is like they're still going to like those class of people are still always going to like be that one step ahead right yeah. like i would like there to be like a powerful a super rich like powerful like black jeff bezos or a woman jeff bezos mm-hmm. right but like is that able is that something that's even like able to happen when we have this imposter syndrome kind of mentality and this like and is that something that we want to happen like on the one hand we're like as a society we want there to be like women ceos like you know like just super successful people who've historically been in like oppressed positions right but at the same time we consider all those people to be pretty evil Mm. you know yeah yeah (laughs) we don't agree with their ethics right so it's like this really weird (sighs) cognitive dissonance going on right because i think we do want to live in a society where we see super rich successful women yeah or whatever right but like <laughs> if all the women once they get there are like, oh damn, I gotta be good in a way that these other like white men didn't feel like they had to be good. Yeah. Like, w- is that ever actually gonna happen? Uh, it's you know I it, there is this men- mindset which I've been learning in the past few years. Actually, at that job where I started making a lot of money, it's the first time I truly learned that there is no such thing as the meritocracy which is foundational to the middle class, like a lower middle class, that I'm going to work hard and that I'm going to get my just reward. And that 
And I saw so many people in such positions of power at that organization. We were particularly well connected. And so, you know, I was in all these rooms with these you know, Fortune 500 companies and the CEOs who were mindless, who did not have good ideas, who just had charisma and great connections. And that was so shocking to me because I was like, I thought you had to be the smartest and the best (laughs) and work twice as hard and be twice as good and show up and talk right and do all these things. And then you succeed. And learning that that is not actually how it's done has also made me think differently about what's required of our heroes and our icons where, you know, it's a little easier if a parent paid their for their kid to get to school in one culture, an upper, a wealthier culture, that's okay. And that kid isn't subject to the amount of inner turmoil that another class would be, that lower and middle classes would be. And I don't know what that says for our future or for how we continue to rise without ripping ourselves apart without like destroying our mental health or alienating ourselves or, or dividing ourselves up. But I do know that the concept of just working hard and getting to where you want to go is unfortunately false. And so all of us have to learn to play the game to the best of to, as far as our moral compass will allow. And mm-hmm. that is an uncomfortable realization. Yeah, especially because a lot of us want to change the game. Right. Yeah. So, like, how much do you have to play the game to eventually be in a position where you can change it? And once you've been playing the game for that long, are you still going to want to change it after you've gotten right. there? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yes. It's just really hard to get people, you know, like, it's really hard to get CEOs to pay themselves less money. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. And once you have, just like you said, once you've played it and you've made it and you're in it and it's like, oh, okay, now I've infiltrated. I'm supposed to be tearing this place down, but. But it's nice. It's nice. And I, like, here. I like brunch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Me, so me and Isabel and Kristen are thinking about going to Italy. Well, before all this. And then. And, yeah. and, and, I, and you know, I, I like Italy. <laughs> I like doing that stuff. But I think what at that job actually what ended up happening is that I felt like there's not enough good of what we're doing. There, The people are rubbing elbows, they're moving and they're shaking, but I don't feel like there's enough people doing good. And I'm starting to look at myself in the mirror and be so unimpressed and so underwhelmed. And that is my line. I want to do good in the world. I want to make a difference. I don't think that I have to be impoverished to do it. I don't Mm -hmm. think that I have to be, you know, uh, to be completely uncomfortable for the rest of my life to do it. But I need to be able to look in the mirror and be like, I believe you are a good person. I will not the definition of good person. Maybe that your parents had or that other classes had, but by my definition, based on my lived experiences and the places that I've been and the things I've learned, I need to see that. And I hope that that keeps me from going to the dark side and just becoming like (laughs) Cruella de Vil, just wearing a coat made out of puppies. I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, I'm just so afraid of like, at what point, 
what number does my bank account have to get to for me to like start wanting the puppy the puppy jacket right it's like when yeah. do you lose your soul what's the what's the moment is there like a moment right before you lose it where you know because so many good people <laughs> have got have lost their souls it feels like and so i'm always just like i think it's easier to go the dark side than we assume yeah and like how will i know when i'm on the edge of the line it, yeah I because think that it has something to do with it's money. it's a gradient, right? It's yeah. Like it's yes. And and that's another thing that like I think is hard to navigate is like we're we're taught very much like good and bad, right? And mm-hmm. then when you like when you get ingratiated and into like progressive culture, we're taught like a lot of money equals bad, right? Um, and I think that I think a lot of deprogramming has to happen, right? Like we have to. Like, whilst we're working in this capital system, I think it's important to, like, try and disentangle, like, someone or some company or some nonprofit that is, like, having a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing shitty things. It probably might mean that. But, you know, I think more investigation has to happen on that front. And I think on a lower income, like, as someone that grew up low income... I think that some reframing also has to happen about, yeah, like what success is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, you know, pursuing passion and all that, you know, woo yeah. shit. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, you know, you know, when you were talking about that moment when you realized that the meritocracy was a myth is like how many of these other moral things were just created to keep lower class people lower class and is having this mentality of like no I could never do that but all of these people who don't have that moral standard like that's a limiting factor on people who you know would otherwise be able to be more successful yeah right it does does feel all interlocked right it does feel like manufactured like oh 100 percent, absolutely right and it's like it's just like just the sheer idea of you know when like a kid or like when rich parents raise a kid that will that will eventually get a high-paying job that kid doesn't then have to look back and try and pull up everyone else with that with that kid right Mm -hmm. like they can just like start building their own wealth and then like it's like Generational, I think generational wealth is just so under talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Such an important factor. And it's also sad because I think that that is partially why it's hard for progressives to be effective in in politics, right? Because you do have this moral thing of I can't just buy this, you know, <laughs> like try to buy influence and like do these shady things that do actually at the end of the day give you power. Right. Right. Ugh. Mm. There's so I read a thing once. This makes me think of when you were talking about kind of the learned behaviors of lower classes being part of what keeps people in, you know, powerlessness positions or powerless positions. And basically the idea was way back in the day when the um what's the which revolution is it? The one where we started making a bunch of cotton. The Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. History? Okay, so the Industrial Revolution hits, and they're able to manufacture and produce clothing at rates and speeds never seen before. But the culture of people was that I only I have a coat and I wear it forever and then I give it to my kids uh, or to my you know it's a hand-me-down we don't buy multiple outfits that's unnecessary and the wealthy were the ones who were like we spend all the money we live it up who cares we have a ton of different outfits 
So then the problem with being able to manufacture tons and tons and tons of coats is that the rich were now the people who were owning these factories and the poor were the people who weren't buying the materials. And so they had to change the culture around it. And so the culture then became, okay, for Easter, you dress like this. And then for Christmas, you <clears throat> give people this. And then yeah. for birthdays, and you, you do this. Exactly. Right. And the rich moved to this idea of like this more frugal mindset because they were the ones who ran the factories and needed to earn the money. Um, and the poor were the ones who were indoctrinated to believe that, oh, no, we need like a lot of different outfits. We need a lot of different clothes. So I say all that to say... Absolutely. There's a culture, a mindset that we have learned that we were taught on purpose. This is the way we think is not by accident. It's definitely by design and trying to untangle that from capitalism and from racism and from just all of the different isms. It's difficult to do. And because it is so ingrained and it feels like air to believe that if I go over a certain dollar amount, I will automatically lose my soul. It's it's hard to even it's hard to see, let alone unpack. Mm -hmm. That's a good anecdote. I really like that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, One thing that I also wanted to throw in and um, like someone said something a long time ago in this conversation that made me think this and it's that yeah I, I feel like I feel like I personally need to stop sort of thinking of like yeah trauma as this character builder because then it like mm. then also it kind of flows into the idea that like um, you know someone someone that like you know if like the idea that like my children will be sacks of shit if they don't have <laughs> like, yeah. like struggle right that's a trauma as a character builder. That's a great way to put it because I think the same thing. Uh, the only way you become good isn't suffering. And right. I suffering can be the way it can be the way it, it is one way. one way. And it's one way that it's the way that I know best. It's the way that feels most familiar to my family, yeah. to my history. It, it, the story is always I suffered, I suffered, I suffered, and then I overcame. And so I want to create that. And even just, I had my cousin here over the summer, she's 15 and we ran around, we had all this fun. And then I was like, and now you will learn about slavery and you will write me a <laughs> book report because that's what I did. That's what, that's what summer's meant to me. We always ran around and had fun. And then you have an older black relative who's like, I want to talk about slavery now. Everyone go downstairs. <laughs> it's always downstairs. And yeah. you're each going to do a book report about it. But it doesn't have to be that way, but it, it does feel like she's going to be a bad person if she doesn't spend some time in a dark room reading about yeah. slavery. You know, and like my grandfather like pushed me into the library every day of the summer. Mm-hmm. And I like at the time, like really hated it. But now I'm a very good reader and I'm like, damn, like, is that what do I have to make my kids miserable like that? Because I didn't have a good time. I hate But did you think it do you think it was actually effective? Yes. Because yeah. I had I actually had a fair amount of trouble reading up until the first grade. And then like it was like one summer where he was like, oh, now we're going to the library every day. Mm. And you're reading like you're reading some kind of something every day. Mm-hmm. And but then, did you think it was useful for your character? Uh, I don't know. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like I'm taught I'm taught that like struggles like that or like or like, you know, discipline like that does 
like result in better character but i don't know did you have a lot of discipline going up growing up uh isabel my, no my parents were just like yeah do whatever you want like, <laughs> i feel like a lot of the the places where i feel like i drew my character from were much more like my friends and my teachers and like people like especially a lot of my teachers in high school were very like i, I feel like i formed like 60 percent of my personality when i was in high school and a lot of it was because i went to boarding school and so like the teachers there were not only like teaching you classes during the day they were also your coach and they're also your house counselor so they were with you like all day it was like an all-day job it was a 24-hour job you know and so a lot of those people were really like one thing i really appreciated about high school especially now looking back from college is that like those people who you know be, were my teachers in boarding school were there because they were really invested in helping you learn as a person as opposed to like oh i you know i study biology and i want to do research on biology so i'll be a bio professor at a college you know and so i would say that's where most of my like personality came from but i never had those kinds of moments that you're talking about where someone was like okay we're going to do some character building now you know and there's a way to frame it because both kind of get at the same thing of of these teachers who want to teach you and also the older people in my family who want to teach me my instinct to want to teach my cousin but the language that I've learned around it is like, now it's time to suffer because in the end, years later, you'll see that this was worth it. But I wonder what it would look like to now test out language of this is amazing and wonderful. And it's a part of our history and it's a part of you. And I want you like, now that I think back on it, I think another way I would have framed that conversation is you come from incredible, extraordinary strength and you won't learn the extent of it in school and so I want I want you to read about it now and tell me what you took away from it, as yeah. opposed to like it's slavery time, right? Yeah, yeah. I think and the, the commonality is definitely just like strong figures that like that like you know take the time to sort of like be that mentor for you, and maybe maybe it doesn't have to be oriented and like now it's time to suffer. <laughs> yeah, like the, to believe that growth and good character could come from empowerment as much as it could come from suffering. And that is a strange and foreign, I mean, my parents were incredibly encouraging. They were absolutely empowering and gave me a lot of space. But when I think about the things that built my character, I automatically turn to hard things. And that's what I want to pass on. But, but, you know, this conversation has made me start to think a lot more about, um, about the the amazing things that have happened that have shaped my character and the good things. Like if I were super, super rich, maybe my, all my horses would have shaped my character and that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and like, not to put Isabel on blast, but like the, the private school she, or the boarding school she went to was like, isn't like a, an aggressively expensive school, right? Yeah. And like, and Isabel feels like, yeah, like her personality was shaped like at that expensive ass boarding school that like, that like, you know, a lot of us didn't, didn't grow up having the chance to, but we're all like, you know, sitting here and kicking it. So, right. That's so true. And I think that the ideal state, and you guys tell me if you disagree with this, is that, you know, we reach a point as a society where no one is oppressed and therefore no one will have their experiences in history and like the things they value about themselves defined by suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That might be 
like impossible because like maybe even if you know 500 years in the future when we're a totally like hyper progressive society and everyone is whatever like we're socialist or something and everyone's equal maybe people will still be talking about slavery i have no idea but like do, like would that be do you guys think that that would be kind of like the ideal state if we were to get where we want to be as a society i think well, conceptually it must be i don't know i don't know i would love a more socialist society i think we're always going to find ways i, I think capitalism won't let itself be defeated. Um, but culturally, a more socialist mindset, I think would do us all a lot of good. And what's amazing is that having people from different races and classes and gender identities and everything continue to get into these positions of power has created this incredible uh, re reimagining of our past and what's possible for our future where, you know, I go to the Black History Museum here in D.C. and I see our story told from a position of resistance. And I remember Mm -hmm. sitting in class and learning about slavery and feeling so humiliated that we were the only people in the world who got captured and sold in this way and that we just and then finally, thank God, white people let us go. And to finally learn that we fought every step of the way makes me look at my history differently and makes me look at myself differently, makes me look at the next generation differently. So I think as we continue to make our, to get more people into the positions of power and into these kind of narrative storytelling spaces, really we're gonna change the way we think about ourselves and we're gonna reimagine what's possible. I do believe that that is gonna happen and already is. Thank you so much, Nicole, for sitting down with us. My um, pleasure. Did you? I hope you had a good time remotely. <laughs> I did. I wish we could have been in the studio together, but this was really fun. I love this mm-hmm. conversation. Um, a quick side note that I, I think it's just fun to be like, yeah, I'm in the studio right now. <laughs> you know, like it's very, it feels very like musician-y, which is like what I want to be. <laughs> oh yeah, like my ch- turn me up, turn me up my headphones. Yeah, I, my, up. my headphones uh, feel good. Uh, we, okay, how's the audio? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, no. I feel like you kind of offered like a really cool, cool perspective that probably a lot of our peers have, but like we just don't really talk about it that much. Yeah, no, it was fun to get it off my chest. I don't know that I've talked about it this much before, so to have fully formed thoughts, but it's an interesting start to a conversation. I hope we have more. Agreed. Before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to plug? Do you have any Mm. projects you want people to listen to? Anything like that? Absolutely. Check out The Colored Girl Beautiful, available everywhere. Um, Is it a pod? It is a podcast. Yes, yes, yes. The Colored Girl Beautiful podcast. Check that out. It's fantastic. Also, while you're just podcast surfing, uh, Story District Presents. It's another podcast I worked on. And then um, to my hero and leader, Ronald, time well spent. Go listen to that while you're at it. Ronald's uh, latest time well spent episode was fire. Ooh, it was good. It was so heat. good. It was heat. Yeah. Okay. And hit us up at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our, you know, our Twitter, our Instagram, our Gmail. If you have any questions for us or for Nicole or if you like hated us or whatever. <laughs> um, otherwise, bye.